1: Grace Curley. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and The Spectator. Especially
2: Grace, Grace, stand up.
1: Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curley.
0: Welcome to the Grace Curley Show. It is not Grace Curley, but it is Caroline Lovett, guest hosting for The Great Grace Curley today on this beautiful Friday in New England. I gotta say, the sun is shining. I may have even heard a couple birdies chirping out there.
3: Yeah, I walked out and I saw there was 33 degrees and I walked outside. It really didn't feel that bad with the sun. It was nice.
0: It did not. It's a great January afternoon. And uh, contrary to what our great friends over in Iowa are currently experiencing, a lot of reporting out there about how Iowa caucus day, it is going to be bone numbingly cold. In fact, there are going to be historically low temperatures. I'm seeing like negative 13 degrees and with the wind chill, negative 20 on the caucus day. Uh, So hopefully people will still turn out to caucus. and, And if anyone is listening from Iowa, just think about it, okay? Would you rather suffer in a blizzard for a couple of hours to vote? Or would you rather suffer through four more years of Joe Biden or Nikki Haley? either way, right Jared. That is That's, that's the ultimate. Yeah. That's the choice. It's the lesser of two evils, man. Button up and get out in the blizzard, blizzard and go vote. But for us here in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, uh we're enjoying the nice weather. Okay, 844-500-4242 or text Curly to 617-213-1066 to talk to me today. We have a great show planned. I'm really excited about this, you guys. Uh, we have a great guest in a few minutes talking about what's going on in the Middle East, and we're going to get right to it. Later in the show, in the 1 o'clock hour, I have independent journalist Nick Sorter joining as well to give us an update on what the heck is going on in Maui. That was a story I covered when I was filling in for great over the summer. And it's a story that the mainstream media doesn't want to touch anymore. For some reason, the entire media apparatus does not want to talk about the fires that burned down one of America's greatest tourist destinations. One of our own states displaced thousands of American citizens. So we're going to get to the bottom of it. Nick's been on the ground reporting on that. Honestly, he's one of the few reporters That is honestly covering what's happening in Maui. Lots of questions to ask him. So if you have your own, again, call 844-500-4242 or text 617-213-1066. We also have Colette Travel, a representative Jim from Colette Travel Agency coming on to talk about my trip to Iceland later this year, which I hope you'll join me on. Go to HowieCarshow.com to learn more and stay tuned in uh, for your questions about the Icelandic adventure that we will be embarking on in November. All right, breaking news overnight, which I am sure you uh, saw by now. Uh, The United States and the United Kingdom joined together to uh, carry out a series of airstrikes on military locations belonging to the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen uh, in response to the militant group's Ongoing attacks on vessels traveling through the Red Sea, Houthi rebels have launched 27 attacks on United States military bases in the Middle East since November the 19th. It is January 12th. That is less than two months, nearly 30 attacks. Uh, And the Houthi rebels have already spoken out. They said that, quote, the United States is going to pay a heavy price for these strikes that ended up killing five and injuring six. Joe Biden's weakness is marching us toward World War Three. The Middle East is very unsettled right now. We have have, of course, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. We have Israel still defending itself uh, from Hamas and the brutal attack that occurred on October the 7th. On New Year's Eve, we had President Xi in China claiming that the taking of Taiwan is quote, inevitable for the Chinese Communist Party and the, the People's Republic of China. Uh, so I thought it would be great to have a guest on today who is an expert on foreign policy, particularly when it comes to the Middle East to give us the lowdown on what happened just this morning. Joining us now is Gabriel Naranja. He is the executive director of Polaris National Security and a former special advisor at the State Department under President Trump. Gabriel, thank you for calling into the Grace Curley Show today. We really appreciate it.
4: Absolutely. It's great to be with you, Caroline. And I'm also a New Hampshire native, by the way, like
0: you. So I heard earlier today, where do you, where do you hail from, Gabriel?
4: You know, this tiny town called Madbury, it's got 1,700 people, no stoplights, probably more chickens than people. Uh, <laughs> these are the towns that make New Hampshire great. Th-
0: that is indeed correct. It sounds a lot like my hometown of Atkinson as well. Uh, one country store one ice cream stand which my family happened to own okay well (laughs) looking looking ahead uh or looking around the world rather gabriel um some startling news for many americans to wake up to this morning that our government has launched uh attacks airstrikes in the middle east could you please just give a rundown of what is going on right now with our government uh targeting the houthi rebels the the Previous 27 attacks, uh, give your take on it for those that may not be up to speed on this morning's news, please.
4: Absolutely. So who are the Houthis? The Houthis are an old terror group in Yemen. Um, they're basically a proxy of the Iranian government. The Iranians are the sworn enemies of the United States and Israel, and the Houthis are kind of the same. Their official slogan is, God is great, death to America, death to Israel, curse on the Jews, victory is to Islam." That that tells you a little bit of of who they are. Um, Now, ever since uh, about two months ago, they've been taking shots at all sorts of vessels in the Red Sea. Um, They're claiming they're doing it in solidarity with with the Palestinians and saying that they're hitting ships going to Israel. But they've really started going above and beyond and just attacking almost everyone, um, launching hundreds now of drones and missiles uh, at folks in their area. And President Biden should have at the very outset of this said, okay, you're, you're attacking ships, you get a missile in response. But he let this fester for two months. right? And now, finally, there's some response. Um, but here's, what, here's the problem. None of this should have happened in the first place. Um, a lot of this happened because three years ago, Joe Biden took the Houthis off of what's called the Foreign Terrorist Organization list. Um, now, this is when President Trump Um, Put them on to say, hey, you're acting like terrorists. We're going to call you terrorists and we're going to give you the penalties accordingly. Joe Biden, without anything in return, took them off the terror list. And predictably, the Houthis have responded uh, accordingly by attacking America and attacking uh, commercial vessels.
0: Correct. Absolutely. I was going to walk us back to that initial action by Joe Biden. For every weak action Biden has taken around the globe, Gabriel, there has been a negative repercussion, and this is one of them. Uh, However, talk to us about what that means. You you said it. President Trump uh, labeled the Houthis as a foreign terrorist organization. Joe Biden rescinded that label. Two questions. What does it mean to be labeled as a foreign terrorist organization? Is it, is it more than just a label? Does it uh, place sanctions on the Houthis, if you will? Uh, or, or what does that entail? And how does it hurt them to be labeled as a foreign terrorist organization? And then secondly, why did Joe Biden rescind that on a group whose motto, as you mentioned, is death to America?
4: Great question. So when you're put on a foreign terrorist list, Uh, Other other groups like that include al-Qaeda and ISIS. Um, It becomes a crime in the U.S. to provide any support to these groups or to pledge loyalty to them. So if I go and I make a social media post pledging allegiance to ISIS, I can get thrown in prison. And the same thing now applied to the Houthis when President Trump put them on the terror list. That hurts their fundraising. It hurts their ability to recruit people. um, It makes it harder for them to carry out terror acts. Um, Now, that's one of the reasons President Trump put them on the list. Biden had this idea that if we were nicer to the Houthis, and that if we cut off arms sales to Saudi Arabia, who was actually in a war with the Houthis, that we could bring the war in Yemen, the Civil War, to an end. Now, this war has been going on for a long time. It's a Civil War. It's deadly. Lots of people are dying. We made the mistake, though of saying we can just get them to behave better if we're nice to them. Um, That hasn't happened, obviously.
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, a child on the playground knows that if you're – nice and passive to a bully, they're going to continue to bully you. Right. We teach our children if someone someone shoves you, you shove them back. I don't know. At least that's how I'll raise my kids someday. It's peace through strength, Gabriel. Right. I mean, that was the mantra of Donald Trump's foreign policy. You know it better than anyone. Part of your your position uh, as I researched you was was Uh, planning President Trump or helping to be part of the planning of President Trump's uh, Iranian foreign policy. So talk to us about that, how the overall uh, approach to the Middle East has shifted so dramatically. We went from peace through strength under President Trump to being pushed and shoved around by not just our adversaries like the Iranians and the Russians and the Chinese, But also, our allies don't take us seriously anymore either. Uh, So could you just give us an overall picture of that foreign policy shift and some of the most detrimental actions that you've seen Biden take uh, in that regard?
4: Well, how long do you have for that? Uh,
0: (laughs) You could write a thesis on that one, couldn't you?
4: (laughs) I could. You know, President Trump had it pretty simple. The guys that chant death to America, you probably shouldn't give them billions and billions of dollars. That's what President Obama had done. Trump said, look, these guys want to kill us. They're trying to ultimately build a nuclear weapon, and we're not going to help them do it. We're going to make it harder for them to do it. We're going to do everything in our power to prevent them from selling oil, from exporting things, from supporting terror groups, and we're going to impose what he called the maximum economic pressure campaign on Iran. It was extraordinarily successful, and I'm I'm proud to have been part of it. We deprived them of 200 billion dollars that they otherwise could have spent on terrorism, on supporting the groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis, And they were, at the end of 2020, the Iranian government was sort of on the verge of collapse. They had 50 percent inflation, mass protests in the street. Um, they were a weak regime. President Biden came in and he reversed that all. Um, he, again, it sounds like a broken record, but he... Came in and relieved the sanctions. He said, "We're not going to enforce the sanctions anymore, and we're going to be nice to you and talk to you, and hope that by talking nicely, they will cut off some of their nuclear activity and and cooperate with us again." But the Iranians could not believe their luck um, when that happened, and they exported eighty billion dollars worth of oil. Um, so again, we went from negative two hundred to plus eighty billion. And they send all that money back to their terror groups. You know, back in the day before we imposed sanctions on Iran, Iran sent Hamas about $100 million a year. Last year, because they had so much money, they increased that support to $350 million. That's why Hamas had the money to be able to do those terrible attacks on October 7th. So this is sort of the Biden policy is appeased. Mm -hmm. It's lots of money to our enemies and hope that they can change their views and and be nicer to us. It just doesn't work. It really just backfires every time.
0: Yeah, it's pathetic. And we're seeing the repercussions of it, not just in the Middle East, but as I mentioned earlier, uh, in Ukraine and in China as well. Uh, Gabriel, unfortunately, I have to leave it there. We have to go to a break. But this was very insightful and informative. And we always appreciate, uh, or I do, fellow Granite Staters calling into the program up here in New England. So thank you for the great work you're doing. We need more peace through strength Mindsets in government like yourself. So hopefully you'll be back there uh in ten months or more. Thanks so much, Gabriel.
4: Thanks, Caroline. Appreciate it.
0: All right. This is Caroline Levin on the Great Grace Curly Show. We'll be right back.
3: And if you need a getaway, I have the perfect place for you to go, the Nausset Beach Inn. They are open for reservations for winter getaways, and I love the Nausset Beach Inn. I've said it many times the most tranquil place that i've ever stayed it's just the cape in winter is so quiet and so peaceful and the nasa beach Inn is right on the beach so you get the sound of the ocean whether you're just sitting outside by the fire pits or you're walking along the ocean your steps from the beach you can see the stars at night which you don't really get to do in the city um each room has a fireplace so if it's really cold you know if you get one of those cold new england winter days you can stay in the room be nice and cozy with uh, the fireplace and look out the picture window because every room As an ocean view, there's two queen-size beds in every room. It's pet-friendly. If you want to bring your dog, take your dog for a walk along the beach, whatever you you were looking for in a getaway, the Nosset Beach Inn has it. And right now, you can stay at the Nosset Beach Inn for under $200 this winter. Don't delay because these rooms go fast. Nosset Beach Inn, as I said, is pet-friendly, has a view from every room, and check-in is contactless. It's a great place to stay during a school vacation week or just for a weekend. So to reserve your ocean view room, go to NossetBeachInn.com. That's NossetBeachInn.com.
1: The Grace Curley Show will be right back. This is The Grace Curley Show.
0: Welcome back to the Grace Curly Show. I'm Caroline Levitt in for Grace on this happy, happy Friday, 844-500-4242 or text Curly to 617-213-1066. Today's poll question is brought to you by Rizzo Insurance. When was the last time you had your insurance audited? Rizzo saved one of my coworkers over $1,700. Bucks. To get your insurance audited, go to RizzoInsurance.com. Jared, what's the poll question today?
3: Today's poll question, which you can vote in at gracecurleyshow.com, is what do you think will be the most likely GOP primary matchup after the Iowa caucuses? Nikki Haley versus Trump, Ron DeSantis versus Trump, Nikki Haley versus Ron DeSantis, or all three stay in?
0: I am going with the last option. Uh, I think all three are going to stay in. I think it's gonna be a fight for second place, as it has consistently been between Nikki and Ron in Iowa, and we'll see who comes out on top. Ron has been very complimentary of his own alleged ground game going on in Iowa. So with this weather, you know, a lot of factors at play. But I think both of them are staying in. They've they've been blowing money this far, so they gotta keep going with it. What does our audience think?
3: Eighty one percent of the audience agrees with you that all three will stay in 11% think it will be Nikki Haley versus Trump 9% think it'll be DeSantis versus Trump and nobody 0% think it will be Haley versus
0: DeSantis <laughs> smart people wise people what do you think Jared what's your prediction
3: Uh my prediction is that all three stay in
0: yeah I, you know it's politicians they have egos can't get them to get out I think it was Corey Lewandowski who said on that program with me and I'll never forget it Grace actually uses this line too. you Every politician looks in the mirror when they wake up and thinks they can be president. Interesting tidbit. Speaking of the presidential race, Howie Carr sent me uh, this story earlier today. It was in my inbox. Uh, the Trump town hall on Fox News, which was on Monday night, I believe, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I don't know, man. It's been a long week. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Thank you, Jared and it was simultaneously airing while CNN had a Republican debate between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, uh, it doubled the audience of CNN's GOP debate. Um, absolutely crushed it on the ratings, averaged 4.3 million viewers from 9 to 10 p.m., according to Nielsen Media Research, while the CNN debate only averaged 2.5 million during the same hour. Now that's the typical number, or I'm sorry, the 2.5 million figure is more than double the viewers CNN typically pulls on a weeknight. Um, But it's just more than 60% of the 4 million who watched the fourth debate on News Nation. So uh, I mean, Nikki and Ron had this debate planned over at CNN. And then the Trump campaign announced that they were going to put DJT on Vox News to do some counter-programming, which is a, a brilliant idea when you're fighting in a Republican primary, and a Republicans these days aren't too apt to click over to CNN, Jared. I'm not sure if that's in your daily news digest, but I can't imagine it is. I,
3: I said this before, and I can't remember if it was with you or with Grace, but like, thank God Donald Trump is in this race. Could you imagine if we had to get energized over Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis? No. For real?
0: (laughs) I can't imagine it. And Rand Paul has some interesting things to say about one of those candidates. We'll talk about it when we come back.
1: Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio.
0: It's Caroline Levitt on the mic for the great Grace Curley. We were talking earlier about the Houthi rebels that uh, the United States just attacked in the Middle East. And I realized I forgot to ask our guest about the fact that our defense secretary is ordering these strikes from his laptop at home. I mean... The national security risk this poses is unbelievable. And there's a great piece out in the Wall Street Journal uh, that says how Lloyd Austin's deputy ended up running the Pentagon from the beach for four days in January. Most of Washington, including President Biden, didn't know who was running the Pentagon. As we now know, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was secretly rushed to Walter Reed Medical Center on New Year's Day. Let's be reminded that this defense secretary, you guys, is sixth in line of the presidential succession, second in line of military command after the president himself. And the president himself was, as we know, vacationing on the beach uh, in... Where the heck was he, Jared? Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico.
3: she was in Puerto
0: Rico. She was in Puerto Rico, but Biden was...
3: Oh, he was in uh, St. Croix,
0: St. Croix, living it up lavishly on the beach.
3: Sorry, I got my vacation (laughs) administration people confused.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to remember all these islands when us working people don't have time to go to them because we're working and making a living, unlike our our president who's ripping us off. So Biden's in St. Croix, Austin's in the hospital and his deputy was on the beach in Puerto Rico where she was on vacation. And she didn't even think it was important enough, knowing her boss was hospitalized, arguably incapacitated, to get off the beach and, I don't know, maybe fly back to Washington, D.C. Nope. She just worked from her laptop on the beach. This is improbable. And we need answers. House Republicans and on the Senate side, and to their credit, some Democrats too, are coming forward and saying that there needs to be an investigation and some are calling for Austin to step down. And again, we say this all the time and it gets kind of tiring saying it, but you can't help but point it out. Imagine if Secretary Esper did this and the Trump admin just secretly was hospitalized for four days, didn't notify the White House. While we are embroiled in, in conflicts all around the globe, It's just incredible, the incompetence of our leaders. And of course, our adversaries know that Lloyd Austin is out of commission. They're not stupid. They're watching all of this. President Trump responding to the news this morning as well. He put out on his Truth social. So let me get this straight. We're dropping bombs all over the Middle East again, where I defeated ISIS, and our Secretary of Defense, who just went missing for five days, is running the war from his laptop in a hospital room. Remember, this is the same gang that surrendered in Afghanistan, where no one was held accountable or fired. It was the most embarrassing moment in the history of the United States. Now we have wars in Ukraine, Israel, and Yemen, but no war on our southern border Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Crooked Biden is the worst president in the history of the United States! Exclamation point. As always from DJT, he's a 100% right. Craziness, scary times, 10 months left of this until... God willing, we can get some real leadership back in the White House. 844-500-4242 or text CURLY to 617-213-1066. Switching gears a little bit, bringing it back to local news. Uh, Well, and this is Biden's fault, too. We, as you know, have a wide open border crisis that is not just impacting the U.S. southern border with Mexico. It is impacting our northern border with Canada. There has been more than a 700 percent increase in illegal immigration coming through the Canadian border into the Swanton sector, uh, which covers upstate New York, Vermont and New Hampshire. We have seen illegal migrants, uh, video and footage of them shuffling through the snow, uh, running through the woods our local law enforcement in the north country of New Hampshire, I know I talked to them, many of them, and we're about to talk to one right now, uh, is wildly understaffed and ill-equipped to deal with this crisis because the federal government has tied their hands. Not only are they grappling with the illegal immigration crisis that every community in America is dealing with, they are also Uh, dealing every single day with the fentanyl crisis that continues to plague New Hampshire. And there's a new story out in the Seacoast online that says the fentanyl overdose deaths are skyrocketing in New Hampshire. Fentanyl remains the biggest killer of drug users in our state. Uh, It was the cause of more than 161 overdose deaths statewide uh, last year alone. Uh, And there are 100 there are another suspected 61 overdoses that are still awaiting toxology reports. If you live in New Hampshire like me and Massachusetts and frankly, every state, sadly, we all know someone, at least one person who has lost their lives at the hands of these deadly drugs. So joining me now is the sheriff of one of our great counties in New Hampshire, arguably the most beautiful County, And I say that as a Seacoast girl, but Sheriff Bill Wright is the uh, the sheriff in Belknap County, which is Lakes Winnipesaukee region. Beautiful territory, but unfortunately suffering from the consequences of the Biden border crisis. Sheriff Bill Wright, thank you so much for joining the program today. Uh, It's very meaningful to us to hear from local law enforcement on the ground like yourself, who are dealing with the problems I just described every single day. And if you could please, sir. Talk to us about what you are seeing in Belknap County and also statewide in terms of both this illegal immigration crisis and the fentanyl overdoses that are are taking lives every single day in our state.
2: Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, Here in the Lakes region, which we're in the heart of the state, um, we're seeing all these opioid deaths happen, uh, just like the rest of our state. But again, we're getting hit hard here. Uh, in our county, and there's a lot of things that are attributing to, to the deaths. Um, the opioids pr- problem, that epidemic is of course a national wide, uh, issue, but it's getting here to our, our small state here. Um, and, and it's causing people to lose their homes, um, lose their jobs, lose their lives. Uh, it's all attributed to everything coming in from the, from the borders. Um, all this. All these drugs are, are, are not manufactured here uh, in our state and they're not manufactured here in the United States. Uh, they're all being piped in from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that fentanyl, of course, comes from uh, China and it's coming across through, uh, it ends up making its way up through the, the Mexican border. And uh, now we're starting to see it come across the, the Canadian border into, into our, uh, directly into our state. Uh, but it's, it's all attributed to uh, open borders. It's all attributed to uh, people illegally coming across the borders, uh, it, along with these packages, uh, and they're finding ways to get it into our communities, um, and we're we're having the impact here in New Hampshire.
0: Yeah, it, talk to us about that. I mean, what are your your local law enforcement in the sheriff's office, and then the local departments as well, seeing? I mean, how many overdose deaths or overdose calls would you say you guys are accounting for and deploying for? I mean, on a weekly basis. I'm sure it's it's a daily occurrence. Correct me if I'm wrong. And how is your staff dealing with that? I know you guys are understaffed like every county uh, in the state. So talk to us about, you know, what, first of all, what needs to be done to fix the crisis and and what it looks like, like tangibly in Belknap County.
2: Well, one of the things that has to happen to fix this is we need to shut our borders down. We also need to, um, you know, work on prosecution and working on the judges to make sure that uh, when we do bring these people in for prosecution, that we actually are, are getting uh, positive results. These people are going to jail or being deported uh, accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that we're not seeing right now is that, um, you know, the courts are making it difficult that we bring people uh, in to see the, the judges. And uh, uh, there's really no, um, they're not seeing a um, a process of consequence. Mm-hmm. So, uh, these people are coming in and they're just being basically, uh, set free, uh, or they're being sent to these programs that, uh, for whatever reason are not, uh, working. So, what's happening is we're seeing, you know, an influx of these people who are being released, uh, in these programs that are now giving out Narcan and things. So people are, are actually overdosing and, uh, uh, you know, their partners are, are now giving them Narcan, which are, uh, some of this stuff is going unreported as, uh, overdoses. Uh, so they're in essence saving their friend, uh, which again, a life is important. Um, but the drugs itself, uh, we need to get rid of them because, you know, again, they're killing our people and they're using our resources. Then mm-hmm. when we do go to these calls, which is very frequent and, uh, Belknap County, um, is, is one of the smaller counties in the state. Uh, but I can tell you that every community, uh, responds to an overdose at least once or twice or three times a week. Wow. Um, and that, and that again pulls resources. So it pulls our fire service uh, and ambulance service. It pulls our police departments. Um, you know, there's laws now in place here in New Hampshire that um, uh, it's like a Good Samaritan law where if uh, you know you, these people are having these um, drug parties, drug use parties, and and uh, somebody overdoses, uh, if they call the police, then nobody will be prosecuted uh, within that um, building. What? That that yeah. So this is what's going on. Is you know again, um, they're seeing it as some form of a disease, and that they need treatment. Uh, and and that we would prefer to call law enforcement and and first responders to get there to save the life, uh, than to actually uh, charge people with this. Mm. Wow. So those are some of the complexities that we have. That again, um, we have to look at what's going on in our legislation. We have to look at what's going on in our uh, courts. And again, prosecution. Um, it all it all uh, impacts the outcome now, i can tell you that um compassion fatigue uh, is real uh we we've, we've had numerous um people that have overdosed within our community that um you know we've gone gone to the the rescue if you will and um and then of course they either refuse medical treatment after narcan's been administered or if they go up to the hospital they they later get released and uh and then we end up having to uh to respond back to a you know, an overdose, overdose issue um, the same day.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and, our, you know, our, our first responders who are having to deal with this um, are starting to get that compassion fatigue. And, um, you know, again, how do we deal with that on on that level uh, with our personnel to say that, uh, you know, these people are human beings and that we need to continue to uh, try to save these people. Right. Uh, but again, we, we need to shut down uh, the illegal drug flow uh, into our country and into our state. Uh, we need to have uh, better laws on the books that allow us to do what we need to do to to get these people in handcuffs and before the judges. We need to make sure that the judges are in fact uh, sentencing these people with harsh crimes, okay. uh, harsh punishment for these harsh crimes. So uh, those are things that you know a lot of people are not talking about. Mm-hmm. Is uh, you know we talk about uh, stripping away qualified immunity for our local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's great, but what about the rest of the the rest of the criminal justice system that had just as much, if not more uh, impact of the decisions that they're being made. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that we really need to start challenging uh, our court systems.
0: Yes, Sheriff, many of the solutions that you are describing, protecting qualified immunity for law enforcement, enforcing harsher penalties uh, for drug dealers and traffickers, especially, and making sure law enforcement officers on the ground have more resources to deal with the fentanyl crisis are Three solutions that President Trump himself has directly proposed. And you have, uh, you decided to endorse President Trump in this 2024 campaign. I saw you at the rally. You so uh, bravely stood on the stage and gave a wonderful speech in your support of his presidency. Uh, why did you decide to do that? Look, you're an elected official. When you make an endorsement, uh, there's always backlash, but you stood strong and you still do for your support of the president. Uh, why do you support him, sir, for 2024 re election?
2: Well, first and foremost, I look at the person that's uh, conducting the business. And and what I saw with with, uh, President Trump's first uh, term as president was we we have a lot of business that got done here in the the United States, uh, and specifically here in in New Hampshire, that uh, were directly attributed to his uh, input, his his executive orders, and uh, so on and so forth. So um, I want somebody who's going to be able to take – take over from day one and get our country going back the way that we needed to go, Mm -hmm. uh, which he started to do when he was uh, in, in office. So I, I do know that, you know, again, as a political figure myself, uh, that anytime we endorse anybody, there is some potential uh, political backlash. Um, But at the same time, we have to stand up for something and we have to stand up for what is right. I'm also a person who believes in challenging the ongoing uh, good old boy system of this has always been the way that we've done it. And this is this is how it rolls Mm -hmm. Um, with a guy like President Trump in place. um, It kind of disrupts that system. And I think that there's a really good uh, process uh, Mm -hmm. moving forward in in, based on what he's previously done, moving forward to uh, to continue to to drain the swamp, as they call it, Mm -hmm. um, to continue to challenge the processes in which, have been failures but it's just been part of the system it's time to change that yeah. uh, we need to we need to do things um to move our country forward uh to to build a stronger military to build a strong uh law enforcement community you know again president trump was one of the only presidents that i know during my lifetime that stood up for law enforcement uh while while some of the communities were were trying to break down law enforcement they were yeah. coming in lawless. um you know, President Trump stood up for us, and yeah. um, I think that's Im- important for us to uh, to continue moving forward as a, a society of laws
0: right well now you are standing up for him and i know it's much appreciated by many uh, across new hampshire sheriff bill Wright, you are doing uh great work up in belknap county and as someone who lives in new hampshire myself i thank you sir for what you do every day to protect us god bless you stay safe and thanks for calling into the show today that was very informative we appreciate it
2: thank you god bless
0: thank you we'll be right back
1: you're listening to the grace curly show This is the Grace Curley Show.
0: Welcome back to the Grace Curley Show. I'm Caroline Levitt. Let's hit the lines, Rich. You're live on the line. Go ahead, Rich.
4: Sorry, um, I grew up in Latonia. I have friends and family who live there, and there, there's a tent city uh, right at the beginning of uh, uh, 107 Providence Street. Is mm-hmm. they're living in the woods in tents. These poor people. Most of them young, young kids. And um, the other thing I want to mention, Mitt Romney's here at Harvard University. I'm curious what he's doing here today.
0: Rich, thanks for the call. On Romney at Harvard, that's interesting. We'll have to uh, dig in. I mean, it's Romney. He's just doing his his swampy thing. Probably giving some types of type of speech. Probably engaging with the... Never Trumpers. It's interviewing to be
3: president, probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that no labels candidacy. Maybe they're having a secret meeting to help stop the, the, uh, the Trump movement, the MAGA train. Speaking of which, Whippy Goldberg on The View this past week, begging Liz Cheney to run as a, a third party candidate to prevent the end of American democracy. These people actually believe that, you guys. But anyway, Rich, on the the camp, the tent city in Laconia, sad to hear that. See a lot of those, especially in in cities, Nashua. Manchester is a mess. I went on a ride along with the Manchester PD. People living in tents all over the place. Biden's America. It's sad. I'm Caroline Lovett. This is The Grace Curley Show. We'll be right back for another hour. Don't go anywhere, you guys. We're going to dig into what is going on in Maui, Hawaii.